0: Today, my featured guest is Mayor Patrick Payton, and he is the mayor of a little place called Midland, Texas, USA. He's going to lead us into uh, just some of the things he's done, his achievements, his pedigree, his acumen, all that really fancy stuff. You know, you get the badges, you get the titles, you get the trophies, you get the awards, the accolades, all those things that matter not to God. (laughs) <laughs> but they matter to us, and we work hard for them. And Patrick, what an interesting way for me to set you up for, for your bio there. But we're going to get right into it uh, with Mayor Patrick Payton. And what we're discussing today, Broken Catholic Nation, is we're discussing the, the merging or integration of faith into politics, right? How do we bring a Christian gospel message into the world of politics, which look at what we've been through. I mean, it's sheer chaos. And we feel like we're being led by wolves, true or true. We feel helpless and powerless like sheep being led to the slaughter. We we feel like, where is God in politics right now? Why does he feel absent? We know he's not, but where is his presence? When you see all the hatred, all the divisiveness, the name-calling, the evil, the darkness that's just spreading, the agendas that are being pushed and shoved down our throats in our children's faces. And we feel helpless as parents. Now, sure, we can look at different areas and be like, okay, I'm a block here, I'm a block here. But doesn't it feel like you're being firehosed from every side? It's like the walls have cracks in them and one crack is happening after another and as you plug one and plug the next there's five more that break out and the darkness is entering into your home i don't want to paint a morbid picture but i do want to be real i got three beautiful babies myself you know and these are things that concern me as i'm sure they concern you bc nation so mayor patrick payton has brought his faith into his his politics, into his office. So we're going to talk about th- that today. Mayor Patrick Payton, welcome to Broken Catholic, uh, number one podcast on iTunes for Protestants and Catholics. Go ahead and take a few minutes um, and just give us uh, your background, give us your bio uh, and, and what you currently do right now where God's calling you.
1: Well, I appreciate it, Joseph, for uh, being on your show, uh, indebted to our good friend, Dr. Kathy Cook, and uh, and just her, her grace in my life. But you know, I'll keep it quick on that And I was in the business world uh, back in the '90s uh, through a through a Bible study called Experiencing God uh, that Henry Blackaby wrote. Um, I went. I went through that. I that was- it, I would not recommend people doing it unless you want your life wrecked um, in a great way. Um, you know, and I, I remember his phrase: "Find out where God is at work and join Him rather than trying to uh, make up your own thing." and That led to my wife and I uh, praying in prayer. That led to being willing to surrender everything, sell everything and leave everything and see what God would do without a preconceived plan. So that's what we did. Um, Took us through Louisville, Kentucky, and then brought us to Midland, Texas. um, The oil capital of the world, basically. We'd never been here before and we were planting a church, planted a church in 1999, grew it to about 5,000 people a Sunday. And, um, had an incredible worldwide missions ministry, national ministry, and as I told you leading up to the show, uh, my commitment was to leave before they told me to or wanted me to. I did not feel like I had a calling, so to speak, to be a pastor. I felt like I had a calling to obey and go where that led. Uh, mm-hmm. In the midst of that, God opened a door for me to be on what's called the Presidential Leadership Scholars Initiative in 2015 with President Bush and President Clinton, and um, that was an amazing journey of six months with 50 leaders from around the globe and then um, we retired in 2018, uh, took a little bit of break. I already had some businesses I had started, uh, for lack of a better word, I'm in the consulting and uh, merger and acquisition business. Had a lot of people ask me to run for office. Um, really another one of those things where I just said, well, has got at work here and we'll join him. If we run an election and we get elected, we'll see what happens. I was sworn into office January of 2020, great timing. And, um, and then <laughs> February hit. And um, I, I hesitate to say it this way, but it, it was only when we started going through COVID that we realized why uh, God put us in this position. And, and I think the 18-year uh, history of being a pastor had prepared me for shepherding a city and also for uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, realizing that um, I was going to be put in a place to moderate the extremes. And uh, so that's what we did. That's where we are. And now we're here today. Wow.
0: BC Nation, here's a man, a Christian man, who went from pastor to politics. (laughs) Man, that's a bold jump, people. Bold jump. All right, Patrick. uh, Take a minute. Share something personal about you that very few people in your political life actually know.
1: Uh, You know, it's um, two things. You said one. I'll share two. One is... um, I'm, I'm where I am today because of two women outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, isn't it amazing how we neglect what God does through the women of the Bible as well? Hmm. Uh, I'll tell you a story about the church of Magdala in Israel if we have time, but my mother, um, broken family, um, and she was a, she was, I don't think you can use this word to describe your mother, but she was a stud. She was a uh, an animal and she was uh you know she taught me a lot by just watching her she was just trying to make it happen um I don't fault my my dad for for anything you know broken people uh or hurt people hurt people and sometimes they need their lives to get together and uh I think we've kind of become a nation that dad beats sometimes rather than understanding wait a minute um you know my, my ultimate father is the heavenly father and he can he can um Take care of those issues not to negate the presence of a dad but uh, a long time ago i i had to call my father and apologize to him because in some public places i'd said things that you know like my dad left our family and i think it helped people it made people think my dad was a bad guy um not a bad guy just uh needed some guidance and needed the lord jesus christ to change some things in his life so hmm. and then i met this woman you know that's been my wife for 34 years now and uh, she knew what a hooligan i was and i've uh, been really miraculously transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And she said, let's do this thing. And um, (laughs) so um, they're the backbone of it all, really, quite frankly. Um, I'm an introvert by nature, which people say, well, why, why does, so why are you a politician? Uh, Well, uh, because what the Lord wants you to do has nothing to do with whether you're an introvert or extrovert, it has everything to do with obedience. So um the unknown factor in my life is it's all attributable to the lord jesus christ and two powerful women
0: Mm. thank you for sharing that you know so many of our listeners were raised in broken homes myself included and for much of our lives we can blame our dad or blame our mom whichever parent left us for why our life's not going the way we hoped yeah And eventually we have to come to this place of growing up and saying, okay, what am I responsible for in my life?
1: Yeah. Well, you Um, know, the scriptures say our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Uh, You know, we can have denominational and theological school discussions until our noses bleed and our heads blow up about the sovereignty of God and what he controls and what he does. The fact of the matter is my choice every day is to wake up and trust the providence of God and uh, to take what he's given me and to be a good steward. Nowhere in scripture do I see the great heroes of faith blaming the people of their past uh, to set them back or to hold them back. And so, um, but we've become a, 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 a people of excuses. We'd be, it's, it's easier to blame my mom. It's easier to blame my dad. It's easier to blame my uncle. This is not to say bad things do not happen to people. That, okay. That's a given. I, I get that. Um, but I wasn't putting a river in a basket and floated down to see what God would do. So, um, you know, I think it's just, I get it. We, we, we sometimes need some counseling to help through these things, but um, uh, oftentimes we've become a therapeutic nation rather than a theological nation, and, and that has led us to this place of blame.
0: I agree completely. And I'd like to shift the conversation a little bit based on that segue to what I see in the political space as well as society at large is this lack of willingness to take personal responsibility Mm -hmm. for our own behavior. And instead we point the finger, we blame excuses, reasons, stories, whatever. But there's just a lack of personal responsibility. And post-COVID, I don't know about you in Midland, Texas, but here in Tampa, Florida, people just gave up caring about how they drive. (laughs) they just gave up caring like the signals turn signals no longer work on their vehicle supposedly Mm. like they literally i don't know if you've seen like a shift not only in human behavior but a shift in like driving which is like you know some evidence there it's almost like we've lost um our thoughtfulness our our kindness our concern for our fellow human beings Mm -hmm. and we're we're kind of like in survival mode i gotta Take what's mine, keep what's mine, protect what's mine, heal what's mine. And it's just about me, 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 me. And I don't have to take any ownership whatsoever for my behavior. That's all your problems. Right. And if you push back on me or tell me I'm wrong, my behavior was wrong, well, then you're wrong. You're evil. You hate me. You hate the world. You hate humans. You're a terrible human being. You're toxic. Yeah. Can you speak well, to us about some of that that you see? Or is it just me and I'm I'm the <laughs> only one that's picking this up?
1: Well, um, I'll go back in answering that question. You, know, We had a little conversation at the beginning of maybe what my denomination was, and I won't voice it here on air unless it needs to come up. But I think back in the we came out of the 60s and then back in the 70s and 80s, we had this next r- round of cultural wars and cultural discussions. And it became easy for the faith community, whether that's Protestant, Catholic or whatever that is to forget that the enemy is the enemy. Um, people are not the enemy. And, and I go back to one of the great authors of that time um, was Francis Schaefer. And and you know Francis Schaeffer would talk about how we are all created in the image of God. Every single one of us, even the ones that we really don't like and the ones who we would say are the most evil among us are created in the image of God. And somehow, and I know we weren't the first group of people to have this happen, somehow in, in my lifetime, I've been able to go back and see this happen in the 70s, especially in the 80s, and, and it, it, I think it escalated in the 90s, and then it's just become untenable in the, in the 21st century, and especially with social media. We just attack people rather than realizing, hey, hang, on, hang on just a minute. If we're all created in the image of God, then that means the way I respect God and honor God is in the way I respect and treat other people. That's, that is to honor the image of God in people. We well, left that venue. We we have left that conviction, and and we have we have decided to compete and 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 categorize people who are God's creation, and and so now we've created camps of belief and conviction rather than an attitude of love and faithfulness and grace towards each other and humility and meekness. All these qualities that we're supposed to see, and and so I think what we're seeing is just the seeds sown of incivility. Um, and, and we've created these over a generation, these schools have thought of I'm against them because they're against me, which is why you know in your opening segue, I actually think it's so bad right now, it might be the most hopeful time uh, for the cause of Christ and the gospel. Because it seems to me when you study scripture, where God breaks in for a movement is when everybody's about to give up on the whole thing. And, um, and remembering again, that I love when you read through the book of Exodus, that it says, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart again. Well, those you better meditate on those words, because for whatever your convictions or thoughts are about who the president of the country is right now, um, if I believe in the providential hand of God, then there is no moment where God checks out of the world and then he says, oh, wait a minute, I'll come back after I take a break. I mean, He's he is doing something. And so I think what's beginning to happen I think it's happening in the business sector. I think there's, there's an awakening happening in the, in the political sector where people are beginning to say, wait a minute, we will go nowhere if we don't start figuring out a way to honor each other, even those we disagree with. And I know some listeners might, might sort of panic when we say that, but remember, the group that Jesus was the most hard on, the most aggressive towards, were the most religious the ones he was most gracious towards were the prostitute who washed his feet or the people who were the most desperate and lost and away from him because the sick need a physician. And, and so I think there's an awakening to, that needs to occur in this. And I, I was opening my Bible when our discussion started because this has been uh, my calling verse for how we treat politics. It's in 2 Timothy chapter thir- chapter 2, and Paul says, flee from youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with all of us who call on the Lord from a pure heart, reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. Boy, how how long can we camp out there? Then he says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be, check this one out, gentle to everyone, able to teach, and patient. And here's where the rubber meets the road. Instructing his opponents with gentleness. And check this out. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses, which literally means sober up, and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I would submit to you that in all of our religious wrangling, we're turning more people away from the gospel rather than driving them to the gospel. And that's why I think COVID sort of dismantled this idea of the church being the centerpiece of where the gospel is distributed Rather than the church being dispersed in the mm. center of culture, so we can begin expressing arguments with gentleness, knowing that it's God who's going to change their hearts and not my arguments. Mm.
0: Powerful, powerful words. I agree with you. I think the sheep got scattered. Mm. They left the pews, right? Because the wolves entered the church. And uh, that goes across all denominations, all yeah. denominations. Uh, the enemies entered in. Like, that's clear. But what I really like towards the end of that, that verse you just quoted was that the enemy has enslaved those mm. people, those evildoers. The evil they're doing is not of their own doing, so to speak. Like, they're enslaved by the enemy right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how often we just don't have compassion for people that we see doing wrong. Mm-hmm. it's really difficult to love them when we see them hurting others. Yeah, Really, really difficult. Yet, if we believe, as you said, in the divine providence of God, that God is orchestrating everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it raises so many questions that people just get stuck on. Yeah. Well, if God is good, why does he allow evil? So you're saying that he's orchestrating all this evil in the world? What kind yeah. of God is that? How do you wrestle with these types of arguments? And I get they're low-level theological arguments, but uh, they're commonplace. How do you wrestle with that in in your office um, when you're dealing with everyone around you, right? These are voters.
1: Yeah. Um, Number one, I rarely uh, start political discussions with, I'm a Christian, and so I want everybody to know that. I've become... Jaundiced to those phrases and words because everybody claims Christ in some way, shape, or another in order to garner votes. And uh, when I was a pastor, I always knew I was in trouble when people would come to me and say they've been praying about something, um, because that meant there wasn't space for a conversation. You know, if somebody comes up to me and says, "I've been praying about this and I want to tell you about this," it, you know, then my only response can be, "Well, apparently you've heard from the Lord. So are you going to give me some time to pray about this, or are we going to have a discussion about this?" So we. we we couch so many of our arguments in religious words. We don't even understand the consequences of those religious words. Mm-hmm. But going to the larger question you were asking about, you know, God's in control. Um, there are a lot of things I don't understand about God. But I go to what the Apostle Paul said in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, which has been my um, bedrock of my faith when I became someone who thought about his faith, and not just someone who, in my in my tradition I grew up in. You didn't think about your faith. You just prayed a prayer so you didn't go to hell. And so, you know, that was the whole gist of the evangelism of the 60s, 70s, and 80s was get this prayer stated uh, rather. And it maybe not have, did not even turn into a true confession of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of my life who runs the show. But I love what the Apostle Paul says when he says, look, folks, if there's no resurrection of the dead, and then and, and he says, we're all fools. This, this isn't worth it. Let's get out and let's just do life. Um, Because no resurrection makes God a liar, makes us a liar. And this whole thing's a joke. And, and I I think that I rest. No, I don't think I know I rest on that. I, I rest on when I can't understand something in the old Testament or, or when it boggles my mind that in Genesis, God told Abraham, his descendants would be slaves in a country somewhere that you know, the children of Israel were not a mistake in Egypt. It was God working to the greater redemption of his, sa- his son, Jesus Christ. In the end, I believe in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it all hinges on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and that one day he will return. And so, um, you know, I'm not worried about debating people about, well, what about evil? What about this? You know what? That, apparently we've been debating those since all of time. So let's talk about how we love people. Let's talk about how we love the Lord Jesus through how we love people. And I would submit to you, Joseph, that the reason people have the space to ask these questions about the sovereignty of God is because they have yet to see the, the love of God in the life of the church and people. So you can, I agree. With, you can fight about theology. Rather, you cannot combat grace and love and truth if rightly delivered, because then you know, people who are... People who are drunken by the enemy, as Second Timothy says. It's like dealing with a drunk. You can't reason with a drunk, but they think they're brilliant. So that's why Paul says do this gently because then maybe they'll be sobered up and we can have a discussion about what matters. We're just not having gracious conversations. And, and I would submit because of the way we're having conversations, it's not allowing another sovereignty question the hand of God to move in the life of people. Cause we are quenching the Holy spirit.
0: So do you wrestle with this personally showing up gentle in those meetings, right? You're, oh. you have your board meetings, you have your committee meetings, you got mm-hmm. your councils, all these lawmaking, uh, meetings.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you struggle with showing up gentle when the rest of the room isn't?
1: Oh, it's a beat down in my life. I, I, uh, to struggle through meekness, um, is really hard for me. I I am sharp of tongue, sharp of wit. And, uh, for your young listeners, especially who are, what I would say are in their thirties in these maturation years, I would say, who all think they're ready to run the country and run the world. Um, I would say to them, be ready because if you're going to let God use you, he's going to beat you down. Some people don't like that phrase. That's just my, I like that competitive verbiage. Um, he's going to beat you down into meekness so he can trust you with greater responsibility. And, um, and so I've had to learn to be silent. I've had to learn to listen. I've had to, uh, as my wife says to me, she says, your, your facial expression says that you hate everybody around you. So change your eyebrows. I mean, it's, it's the whole game, Joseph. I mean, it's from the way I walk to the way I pace, um, through uh, a lobby from the way I conduct myself in meetings. Um, and that's why I come home exhausted if I've had a day of meetings, especially in the political realm, uh, because it requires the Holy Spirit working within me to, um, to really exercise patience, to hold my tongue, and, um, and just to slow my roll. I mean, it's, it's a fight. It really is. And I've had to issue many apologies.
0: I really, really get that. <sighs> Some would argue, you know, Patrick, um, God made you this way, sharp Mm -hmm. of tongue, sharp of wit. So why wouldn't he want you to just be yourself authentically? Why would he want you to suppress it? These talents, gifts, and abilities with this thing called meekness, which to our modern society sounds like weakness.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, meekness is the, uh, restraining of strength. You know, it's, uh, uh, here's the example I'll give. Maybe that'll help. I have three wonderful children. They're all grown now. I have four grandkids. I used to play basketball with my oldest son on one of those little tykes hoops, you know, that's like four feet high. And the reason I'm playing with him is not just to play basketball. It's to demonstrate love. It's to have relationship. It's to, it's to raise him as a son. What I could do because I have the ability because I'm larger and I'm bigger and I'm stronger is I could tower over him, dunk the ball over him, annihilate him, knock him down and show him what it means to be a powerful man. Well, that's foolish. That's stupid. And that's, um, that is, uh, wrong, but I could have meekness and see what's in, what, what does he need to learn from me in this moment that my gifts and talents can be used, uh, in grace and in love for him. And and so, you know, your, your comment is is well taken and that there are people who, who would say, man, just get out there and let the blows flow and all this kind of stuff. But again, that is not the model that Jesus set for us um, in, in any way, shape or form. Now, I will tell you, I've been in, a, in several environments where it is a Christian environment where we're talking about politics. And I usually... Um, take the gloves off in that realm more than I do when I'm in the quote unquote secular realm. Um, Is
0: is that because you consider them like the Pharisees and Jesus is scolding them because they should know better
1: um, or something else? Yeah. Along those lines, I think it's just one of those things where you're sitting with brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, the analogy I give is I used to be a high school quarterback, you know, and, and you get in the huddle and you say to your teammates, Hey, get it together. You know, quit being weak take care of that guy over there. And that's a team atmosphere, you know, where you talk in the huddle as a team. In in this world, the world is looking for me to demonstrate grace and truth, John chapter one. When I get in the room with who I consider to be my my team that I think is losing the game for us, uh, that's a different deal. Um, And I would again say, remember, the scripture says you are the salt of the earth. If the salt has become tasteless, it is worth nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. If we think we're being trampled underfoot by men, there's only one group of people that Jesus said were the preservatives of this thing. So, uh, I mean, lo- I always laugh when people say, get so mad about people who don't know Jesus acting like sinners. I'm like, what, do, what What do you expect them to do? I mean, that's they're blinded. So when we act the same way they do, in our politics and in our policy and in our discussions, there is no difference. We're just darkness. We, I mean, that's all we are. And, and so, yeah, the gloves come off sometimes when I'm around a, a different group of people. You know, I'll give you an example. This will, this will really set the world on fire here. I was speaking at a Baptist men's gathering. This was 2022, 20, maybe. And I said, folks, let me just be clear about something, because everybody, you know, whether you're a Trump person or whatever you are, I said, let's just be clear, since we're all confessed believers here. If Donald Trump had run as a Democrat, all of you conservative evangelicals would have come out of the woodwork and said, we cannot have a man of his moral turpitude run for president. He's been married He's a philanderer, he's a casino owner. There is no redeeming quality of his character. Because I saw how we did this with Bill Clinton back in the 90s and he didn't own casinos. But if if all the things that were Donald Trump um, and he was a Democrat, we would have said he's unfit for office. He cannot with his moral character be a president, but he becomes a Republican and we have this idea that we can start saying he's God's man. Well, I'm just like, look, I. I'm not here to argue whether he's God's man or not. I'm just saying you better be careful about what you call God's and be consistent about what your convictions lead you to. So yeah, that all started with the question of restraining myself. Um, If I'm in a blinded drunk world, um, they don't need me to run over them. If, If I'm in a group of people who think they're the salt of the earth, then I'm going to ask you why you're not being salt.
0: Sounds reasonable to me, BC nation. How about you? All right. Speak to us about toxic toxic extremes in the political sphere, because I know this probably irritates you and frustrates <laughs> you to no end.
1: Oh, so let's go back to COVID. Um, COVID starts. I'm on the road. Uh, I'm actually sitting at dinner. This may offend some of your listeners, but when I travel with my business, since I'm alone. I usually, when I go to a restaurant, will sit at the bar because I don't want to sit at a table of four people, you know, and everybody think I'm this poor, lonely man who doesn't have anybody with me. So I sit at the bar, have my uh, chicken Caesar salad, and I'm sitting in in late February in Oklahoma City watching an Oklahoma City Thunder basketball game, and all of a sudden they shut the basketball game down. So that's how this whole thing happens. My city phone starts ringing, and, and I have to take a seven-hour drive home. I'm on the phone for seven hours, get back to Midland. We're all trying to figure this out. And by the way, the city of Midland never shut down, so that'll tell you the kind of people we were. Um, but I had two meetings as soon as COVID started raising its head. One was a group of doctors who came to my office, quite literally, all the, very literal, sat down, tears, weeping, gnashing of teeth. And they all said, if you don't shut this city down, you'll have 2,000 dead people on your hand in three months. You better buy refrigerated trucks. The next group of people said, if you shut this city down, you're a Marxist, socialist, communist, and and that's just the bottom line. That's when I, that was really my first exposure to, oh, okay. So I either have to choose an extreme because I've got two fat people sitting on the teeter-totter, or I've got to become a fulcrum to this thing And try to figure out how to keep those two people from destroying everybody around them and breaking this thing in half. And so thus began the journey of realizing, wow, everything has become an extreme around here and everybody's everything they say. And and I told my precious mother-in-law and mother, I said, um, listen, I just want to tell you, whatever you're hearing on the news, and I don't care if it's Fox News or CNN, you're only getting about 25% of reality. So be very, very, very careful. And and Joseph, I've just seen over the last three years now, there's been no moderation to that. We've just continued to go further and further and further apart in our extremes. And the bad thing is, is if you try to moderate the discussion, both parties call you a sellout and, um, you're no longer conservative enough, or you're no longer liberal enough. And, um, and this is not new. I was reading Dwight D. Eisenhower's biography, uh, one of his biographies. And when they were asking him to run for president, this is, I'm quoting Dwight D. Eisenhower. He said, what concerns me the most is the radical left and the reactive right. Because in the military, if you lose your middle, you lose the battle. And um, so there's nothing new under the sun. And it's, it doesn't matter whether it's taxes. It doesn't matter whether it's abortion. It doesn't matter whether it's COVID. The extremes are setting up camp, and and there's a valley of lostness in the middle that we've got to figure out how to moder- how to how to walk through.
0: Now that you've articulated the problem, you've been immersed in it for quite some time. What do you see to be the solution?
1: Yeah, um, it's going to require people who have no desire to get in political office um, to step into it. And they're going to get their brains beat out uh, the first couple of go rounds. If they're fortunate enough to get elected, then they're going to have to stick to the moderate plan. And because there is a swamp, not only on the left, there's a swamp on the right. Um, it is a systemic structure that determines the behavior of politics. And it's going to take a long-term awakening um, among people to step up to the plate in that regard. And it's going to require, we have touched on this subject, it's going to require business leaders as well, um, uh, shepherding their employees in, in some of these regards and not being an extremist. And so it, to go back to the beginning of that, people are just going to have to step up to the plate and be willing to have these conversations. And, um, and but you're going to get beat up because establishments do not give up easily. And um, and I don't care what people say. It's a fact. You can argue with me if you want, you'll lose. The establishment is on both sides. There is a swamp on both sides and, um, uh, and they're controlled by money and it's going to take a great awakening. In 2005, I was sitting in front of Henry Blackaby. We mentioned him earlier. And he said in 2005, we were at Billy Graham's conference center in, in North Carolina. And he said, the next great awakening will occur through business and the military. And I thought, wow. And I have a good friend of mine who says he would add to that politics. And I know it seems Really, 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 really stupid to say that right now. Um, but I think that might be true. I, I really do. I think it might be true. I know it is in the business world.
0: Speaking of that, where do you see God moving in politics right now?
1: At the local level. Um, more at the local level in the fact that more municipalities and to some degree states are realizing what the principles of representative republic democracy actually mean and what it means to actually have a question, have a conversation about policy rather than executive orders. Um, you know. We, uh, and so I see local people saying, hang on just a minute, local municipalities are supposed to be a microcosm of what a representative republic looks like in the nation. Since we've lost that sense of what it's supposed to be, now we're seeing people step in into the local level and say, wait, we are gonna have a debate about mask mandates. We are gonna have a debate about vaccines. We are going to own our own politics here locally, and we're going to have conversations with each other about that. We did that here. I mean, we we put a mask mandate on the city council agenda so we could debate it. And I went on Fox News and said the problem I had with Governor Abbott was he was doing all these executive orders, but not calling a special session of the legislature. I'm like, we're past this now. The legislature needs to show up. So I think there's a groundswell in municipalities who are saying, wait a minute, let's get back to a representative republic, debating the issues, respecting the opinions. And it, when it starts locally, it'll then begin, it has to begin to spread nationally. It's not it's not gonna come out of Washington, DC. It's, it's gonna be a result of what we do in the middle of the country.
0: So what I'm hearing you say, correct me if I'm mishearing, is that it's got, the solution is from the bottom up. It's definitely not from the top down. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think that's exactly correct. You know, there's so much power at the local level. And if people doubt that, think about the power that mayors around this country had, who were shutting their cities down or allowing their cities to be mowed over by protesters, when that didn't have to happen. I mean, we knew we had protesters coming to our city. Mm -hmm. I told our police department to publish on their social media sites and there's all kinds of other crazy stuff going on on the internet that in the crime world is unbelievable and i said you just post and say if anybody comes to midland and breaks anything we will arrest anyone and everyone who breaks anything literally buses on the way to our city turn around and leave and and so you just you, that's not that's just the law that's just upholding the law and um and so again it, the greatness of this country Is exhibited in its municipalities. It's what's happened over the last, I would submit, 30 or 40 years, is even local entities have deferred to Washington, D.C. or their state capital. Now they're having to recapture what it means to be American in their local municipalities. And what will follow is elections to state houses and then to national houses.
0: Mm. You know, I'm seeing a correlation between uh, the political sphere that you're speaking of on a local level, utilizing their, the authority and power that God is giving them, uh, rather than handing it over right to yeah. the top, who is completely just misusing everything. And i am seeing a correlation with the church mm. and the lay people, us, yeah. the congregation and the authority and power we've been given as apostles of Christ to bring the gospel message out into the world, to be salt and light. And so many of us, we just defer it to the clergy.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: And and we're seeing the same thing. Like the church is making poor decisions left and right and, and right. And we're seeing wolves exposed, et cetera. And it's this, this deference rather than like realizing like God ordained each of us mm-hmm. to stand in government starting in our own home right to govern our home as fathers and husbands if you're a man Mm -hmm. and as wives to be helpmates to your husband to to be that one that one flesh Mm -hmm. leading these children not just to heaven but through a really dark messy world and to carry that light but it starts at home and so many times we look at the clergy and we blame and we point and we do the extremes and we label Hmm. But if we look in the mirror, how are we better? How are we behaving differently to your earlier point, full circle here? I think it all comes back to that is taking personal responsibility, right? I think it was CS Lewis that says when he was asked, you know, what's wrong with the world, he said, I am,
1: Mm -hmm. I'm what's
0: wrong with the world Mm -hmm. times 8 billion.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. That's, that's really what it comes down to what comments do you have around that?
1: You know, I remember preaching and thinking, um, when I'm done, all these people are going to leave and do they leave what they confess in this building or do they take what they confess where they go? And I'm afraid the former is more true. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, we, we talked about it a little bit earlier. We've had this sacred secular divide. I was listening to a, a I was at a conference and this architect was speaking about spaces. And the argument of this architect was, he said, and I love this quote, he said, there's no such thing as unsacred spaces. He said, all sacred spaces are sacred because people created in the image of God are in them. Only unsacred people make places unsacred. So Mm -hmm. we begin there and say, every place we set our foot, is sacred because we carry the light of Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit within us. So that means Francis of Assisi was right. Preach the gospel, use words if you must. So there's there should be no divide between a sacred worship day of worship and the other sacred days throughout the week. This was something that was started stirring in me about 10 years into the pastorate because I had been raised in a convictional model that said there's the called and then there's the laity, which is not biblical. It, it's just not biblical. And so, and we can have debates about that, but but we're seeing that break down. And, and we have been called to go be the light of the world. We have been called to go be the gospel wherever we go. Where this really hit home with me was a gentleman who will remain unnamed, but he's the CEO of a one of the world's largest companies. And I had the privilege of getting to know him. And I'm sitting down with him about three years ago. And I said, what is your greatest concern? And he said, I have 7,000 souls I have to shepherd every day. And I said, hang on just a minute. You said souls you have to shepherd. And he said, because that's the role of a CEO who claims to be a follower of Jesus. I am a shepherd. And that's it. It's like a light went off when I thought, oh, my goodness. We have allowed people to go be teachers in schools without being consecrated into their calling. To go be a teacher and carry the sacred light of Christ into the schools. Everybody tells me God left schools when prayer was taken out of schools. Like that that is the stupidest argument I've ever heard. Because God prayer was not taken out of schools if believers are in the schools. I mean, that that's just the reality. And and but we have let it be told to us what has happened. Then we start these political arguments. You know, I'm like, wait a minute, the salt of the earth didn't leave. So something, because I've never been told prayer is the salt of the earth, but I have been told you are the salt of the earth. So let's, let's figure that out. And, and so in the end, it's just helping people understand if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't even use the word Christian anymore because everybody calls himself a Christian. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, everywhere you go just became a sacred space. Now, how are you treating that sacred space in the humans created in the image of God in that space? And, so I think it's um, man, I, it, we could spend six hours talking about that, but my hope in the in the days and years to come is that um, business people begin to realize, I'm a shepherd. And moms and dads begin to realize, I'm a shepherd. and school teachers, I'm a shepherd. and uh, and even the gifts listed in ephesians four, we we operate as apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. These are gifts and things given to us to operate in the world, not just to be used on Sunday or Saturday whenever you worship uh, in teaching children in the nursery. If anything, when you show up at a place on Sunday or whenever you worship, that's that's really a locker room time, a huddle time. Go see your team, get encouraged, but go back and get in the game where real sacred stuff happens. So don't know if that helps, but that's sort of the, the world I'm treading in right now
0: i think that was helpful approximately how many souls in midland texas has god put under your care
1: about one hundred and fifty thousand.
0: what's that like to feel the weight of that responsibility
1: Mm, um that's a great question i'm trying to put into words how i've expressed it before when i was a pastor how many times have i said that in this podcast (laughs) <laughs> I operated in a convictional window. I'm not saying this was right, but this is how I operated. And if you came to our church, this is, these were our convictions. If you didn't like them, you didn't have to join our church. You know, it was kind of like, come if you want, but you don't have to. But This is, this is how we're going to teach. My eyes were opened when I became the shepherd of 150,000 people and had to realize not everybody has the same confessional windows as me. I don't get to isolate them. I don't get to say, well, you're a bunch of lost people because you're not in church. You're you're out fishing on Sunday mornings or whatever the case might be. But now I had to realize what it meant to be a shepherd of all the sheep, to be full of love and compassion to all the sheep, even if they radically disagreed with me. Were they going to see the composure, the countenance, and the confession of Jesus in the way I acted? So it was actually for the three years, it felt, like the, it felt like a weightier call at times than being a pastor because the ramifications of how I said what I said um, and even what I said sometimes carried more weight because when I was with my team as a pastor, sometimes I could say things a little rougher. Sometimes I could say things a little more convictional. Now I'll go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2 with great patience, gentleness, because it just might be the Lord might use what you say. So that's Um, And I've had a lot of testimony speak to that. I've had a number of people come up to me and say, I knew you were a pastor and I was worried about fill in the blank, but thank you for the way you treated us. And you know, that's, that's just confirmation that we're maybe doing something right.
0: Very cool. Where, let's get personal. Where have you resisted God in your life? Even recently,
1: Mm um being nice
0: um, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wait 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 i gotta clear this up nowhere in the bible does god say be nice he says be kind
1: okay i'll be more specific loving people okay um so i don't have to like people right that's exactly nope. but i gotta love them and um It's been, that—that that is, uh, sometimes it takes me more than a few days to sift through the work of the Holy Spirit in my life to say the enemy is the enemy, go back to what we said earlier, and I'm going to love that person regardless of what they said about me. Um, The tendency for me to want to respond in wittiness and sarcasm to bury you in your stupidity is always raging in my gut. But you know, the old, uh, bracelet, you know, so what would Jesus do in this situation? And, um, that's hard. I resist that a lot. Um, and I have to hold my tongue. I have to spend a couple of days with the Lord. I can, I won't go into details, but I've had this happen in the last 48 hours. And my, my all, first reaction was I'm coming after you, but I can't. And, 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 how I treat people is probably where I resist God the most. It's just a fight. And, you know, I, I respect people who just run around loving people like crazy, you know, because I didn't love everybody. I don't. Um, and, and, and especially those who are, who act like the, act like the fool, you know, and, and, but I, I'm about to act like a fool if I do, if I react in that way. So yeah, I, I resist God in the way I love. And um, uh, sometimes even the way I love my wife, you know, uh, I think uh, I have to realize, actually, I've been called to die for her. And uh, so that's a bit of a challenge as well. And, um, and then probably the last place I resist him is in letting my grown children be grown rather than think they ought to hear everything dad says. So that's <laughs>
0: After all, children, I am the mayor of a city. You must listen <laughs> make, to me.
1: They can care less. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank sure. you for that uh, authentic um, transparency, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, where have you been cooperating with God lately? Like, where do you think like, you're really aligned with his plan, his will, his timing?
1: Uh, right now in my business, i uh, God has opened the door because he's opening the eyes of some leaders in business to say, we don't have a soul in our company. Um, We're very successful. We make a lot of money, but we might be destroying lives and we, we don't have a soul. Can you come walk with us and help us redeem the time because the days are evil. And I believe that's in lockstep with what I think God is doing in the business world. And so, uh, yeah, I think, that's a shorter answer because it's more concise for me is God's opened that door. He's, he's literally had business people say to me, help us find a soul, help us lead people. Um, they give us 50 to 60 percent of their waking hours and days, but we're not redeeming that time. How do we do that? And, and so it's it's been a wonderful opportunity to not be the sage on the stage anymore, but to be the guide on the side. And uh, that's been very rewarding.
0: That is so refreshing to hear, that there are CEOs of large companies thinking that way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like
0: literally realizing they need to care more uh, for the people that work for them. Yeah, They need to care more, not just about their lives and their families, but their souls as well and the way that is put on them with that like that's to me that's super refreshing when you said that like that's such that's so foreign that they would come and ask you that question yeah <laughs> like it, it just seems so foreign but it's fantastic again on a personal note uh patrick what what do you do to strengthen and deepen your faith mm-hmm. maybe on a daily basis
1: yeah, well, I can th- I can go back and think the mentors in my life when I was a teenager um, who taught me the discipline, and it is the discipline and the practice of time in the Word, uh, reading God's Word, personal prayer time. I, I resist devotionals, really, quite honestly. Uh, I don't really want to very much chew the cud of another cow. I'd rather um, eat from the field of God's Word on my own and, and chew my own. Um, so I, it has been a habit. Um, since I was about 15 to spend my times in the morning with the Lord. Uh, That doesn't mean I've got a hundred percent track record. I don't know that anybody does. If you do, congratulations. Um, And, and so I, I nurture my soul through the word. I nurture my soul through some very, very close friends, which is a very small circle. Um, You know, that trust circle gets smaller and smaller. And uh, you know, Jesus started with 12, got to 11, went to three, and there was one in the end. So, and and then, Another thing that I'm doing, Joseph, that's kind of new is I've been a pretty voracious reader for um, about 34, or 35 years. I I just have shelves and shelves and shelves of books. I'm finding myself going back to some old classics. I just referenced Schaefer. I'm going back and trying to find what these people were writing about that maybe they didn't realize they were addressing something that was going to show up 40 years from now and 50 years from now. And so just pushing into, like I said, Schaefer's books again, and the, the line of despair and God is there and the escape from reason. And, and so going back to the classics and nourishing my soul on classics. And the last thing I'll say on that is I'm also slowing my reading pace down. Um, I was, I was to a place where I was being competitive with volumes of red, read material rather than letting it sink into my soul. And, um, so I think I'm just trying to be more soulish. Um, I, I I don't. I'm not a Star Wars fan. Don't like Star Wars at all, actually. But it maybe it'll just make people giggle. I'm just trying to get to a more Yoda posture um, because I feel like God's going to keep bringing Luke Skywalker's into my life and your life and others. And uh, there's a gentleman in this country who started an organization called the Modern Day Elder and I think our culture is starving for the maturity of eldership, and, and so maybe I'm trying to slow the churn so I can become more of an elder rather than um, trying to see how much I can win, and so that's, that's in my Bible reading. It's in slowing things down. It's in taking walks. It's, it's um, a prayer life that for the most part has been for the last several months, just a meditative recitation of the Lord's prayer uh, rather than just about anything else. And really meaning when I say, okay, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean for me? So yeah, that's, that's my soul care.
0: Very cool. Uh, BC nation. We've been speaking with mayor Patrick Payton. He is the mayor of Midland, Texas, USA. He's a man of faith. Uh, He's also a human man that uh, wrestles the toxic extremes in politics on a daily basis. It causes frustration. It causes irritation. But he is called to be the light in the darkness. And so are you and I. We must remember this. Whatever office you reside in, whether it's uh, the office of a large company or it's your home office, God is calling you right there, right now to stand up and be his light in this darkness right now okay all right so patrick welcome to my favorite part of the show welcome to the confession round i'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions you'll have about three seconds to answer each don't overthink it it's just for fun it's like a game show without the prizes are you ready sir i'm ready what's your favorite thing about god grace what is your least favorite thing about god truth (laughs) cuts like a sword (laughs) i'll tell you uh i believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our life it's just part of the human condition what are you currently wrestling with challenge with right now either professionally or personally
1: um believing that i have the ability to do what god's called me to do really yeah Really? You said this was a rapid round. Are we going to talk about this? To- <laughs>
0: no, but darn it, now I want to. We may talk off camera if you have a few minutes. Um What are you most afraid of? Failure. Okay. What did you spend way too much time doing this past year?
1: Ooh, worrying.
0: Worrying. Yeah. Wasted time. Never get it back.
1: Yeah.
0: What secret fear do you have about people? Say that again. I didn't hear that. What secret fear do you have about people?
1: Ooh, um, that if they knew me, they wouldn't like me.
0: (laughs) I like you. (laughs) Because you remind me of me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What do you wish you had learned sooner about God?
1: Ooh, that he's bigger than my small confessional windows.
0: (laughs) What's a new habit you're going to create in your life this year?
1: Ooh, a new habit I'm going to create this year. I can't answer that right now.
0: Okay, maybe it's something to sit with, yeah? Yeah. What's a bad habit you're going to break this year?
1: Bad habit I'm going to break.
0: It's easy. Maybe your wife or kids pointed it out to you already. (laughs) (laughs) Like they'd like to do with us, right? Gosh,
1: a bad habit I'm gonna break. Um, going to bed later than I should. That's I, I'm pretty disciplined about habits, so that's a tough one. Um, okay,
0: yeah. Pick three words to describe who you are now.
1: Three words to describe who I am now: um, compassionate, um, convictional, and. Um, not in control that's three words but uh, yeah i
0: get it pick three words to describe who you were before you fully surrendered like the rest of your life to god
1: yeah uh arrogant uncompassionate and unforgiving
0: okay that was pretty clear (laughs) and last question patrick if you could come back to life after you died look your family and friends in the eye And give them only one piece of advice about real relationship with God. What would you say to them?
1: Uh, I would say, do not fear absolute surrender.
0: Man, I'm with you, brother. Do not fear absolute surrender, BC Nation. This is the great call of God. It really is. All right, Patrick, this is where it's time to show you get to give BC Nation, my audience, a homework assignment. What is the one action they must take this week in order to take one step closer Mm. to God, to aligning with his will and his timing in their life?
1: Mm. I would um, tell them to sit down with a piece of paper, not a computer, grab a pen or a pencil and write down these categories, my faith my family, my fitness, my finances, um, my physical life. And I would ask them to write the story of who they were in those categories and then write the story of who God wants them to be in that category and in those categories. Because only when you wrestle with who you were there and wrestle with who you want to be there will you then begin to start creating the story, co-creating the story with God that he has for your life, according to Philippians 2.10.
0: Okay, BC Nation, you have been officially challenged. <laughs> now you have a decision to make. Either take a step closer towards God or continue just to coast through life until you meet him face to face. All right, BC Nation, if you enjoyed this episode with Mayor Patrick Payton as much as I did, please go to iTunes, uh, Apple Podcast, go to Stitcher.com or go to BrokenCatholic.com and write a five star review, an honest review about this episode with Patrick. How did he show up? What did the Holy Spirit move in you through his words, his story, God's story told through his life? Show your gratitude. Go write that five star review right now. If I like what you write, I will read it live on the show and give you a shout out like I'm about to do with handle stewardship author stewardship author wrote five-star review let's just be real this podcast broken catholic provides real christian conversation that men of god especially can benefit from i pray we all can can learn to be more authentic in our relationship with christ thank you stewardship author for your five-star review i appreciate you bc nation go write yours now Mayor Patrick Payton, Midland, Texas, warrior for God, mighty man of God. Where does BC Nation go to learn more about you, get in contact with you? Maybe you have something you want to give them. What do you got?
1: You know, it's funny. I have never done social media, so I really can't direct you to, uh, well, I I guess I have a Facebook page for Mayor Patrick Payton, um, but I, uh it's funny I never did social media when I was a pastor uh, which is probably a good thing because nobody in my political life could go back and see anything that I posted uh the best way to get hold of me is just uh, patrick at com, and that's p-a-y-t-o-n com. those emails come to me and that's the best way to have a conversation with me um and I probably won't change that conviction anytime soon I uh not a big social media guy, and uh, and I don't have conversations on social media. But I have a conversation with you if you email me.
0: There you have it. BC Nation, reach out to Mayor Patrick Payton if you so choose, and the Holy Spirit prompts you. I remember back in uh, my biggest conversion times of my life, the Holy Spirit prompted me, go speak with that person after the talk. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to, but I did. And had I not, I wouldn't be where I am right now because that conversation led to an invitation, which led to another and another and another. And God just moves us up. But it all starts with you saying yes to the promptings of the Holy Spirit within you. Mayor Patrick Payton, thank you for being on Brokey Catholic. I wish you God's love, peace and joy in your life, sir.
1: Same to you. Thank you.
0: Have you tried absolutely everything and nothing has worked? Have you tried therapy? Have you tried coaching? Have you tried counseling, Christian counseling? Nothing's worked for you, for your spouse. You just want better communication. When you wake up, do you feel like you want to crawl under a rock in the morning time? Is your brain so scattered and foggy at this point that you're not following through with things? You're not keeping your word in the matter. You're letting people down, maybe your own spouse or kids. Do you have way too much on your plate and you're getting more and more frustrated, which is turning into anger? Are you battling addictions right now? Are you an amped up or frantic person with a lot of anxiety and you're off and on a bipolar and depression medicines? If any of these you connect with, then,